see us all through, and we will be well again. But until then, let's persevere and dive into the Word of God. I'm going to read from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, to give us a running start into where we're going. This is a text that is a call to action. It's a call to be a doer of the Word of God. So follow as I read verse, verses 19 and following. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law... The law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is a text that is near and dear to my heart because it's a text that's a call to Christians to take the word of God from the study, from the church service, into the marketplace, into the day-to-day life that we live. Living out the Word of God. What joy comes to the Christian when you actually live out the Word of God. You hear it. You may even think about what you've heard. But then you make a choice. And it will either sort of float away or fly away from your life into forgetfulness. Or it will become action and real And it will be powerful to you and you will spiritually grow because you are now a doer of the word and not just a hearer. About a year ago, I was in California at what's called the Shepherds Conference. I'm going again in a week or so to the Shepherds Conference in Southern California. It's a great conference where multi-thousands of pastors come and we worship God together and we hear our marching orders again to open the word of God and study it every week and to preach it. And so it'll be sort of a sort of an energy booster for me. But last year, as every year, you kind of have Saturday free. And last year, I took that Saturday afternoon and went to the Getty Museum. Now, I'm not really a museum kind of guy. My wife is more of a museum kind of gal, and so I find myself there sometimes. But I went to the museum because it's free. And, you know, what else can you do in Southern California for free? So I went, you kind of ride the little train up into this museum, and it has all kinds of world-class art displayed throughout. And one of the exhibits that caught my attention that I went to was called the Illuminated Manuscripts. And these are manuscripts written on dried goat skin, skin or vellum paper, where monks all the way back to the 4th century through the Middle Ages would write scripture in Greek or Latin. And they are very beautiful, and they have pictures of Christ and different scenes from the Bible decorated or, ornately around the border. And there's, there's gold and silver sort of uh, framing the different manuscripts. And they're behind glass, obviously. You can't touch them. They're preserved so that you can see them and kind of see how beautiful they are. 
Well, I was intrigued by them, primarily because many of them were written in Greek, and I've studied Greek, so I was trying to read some of them and struggling to do so. However, they became a reminder to me of how oftentimes people in the church today treat the Word of God. Just like back then, there was a language barrier where the common man often didn't understand Latin or couldn't read Latin, or wouldn't have access to the Word of God anyway, even to read it, or read Greek nevertheless. And so I was reminded that many times, even back then and today, people approach the Word of God as if it's behind glass, on display, a piece of artwork, something that's pretty to look at, like hearing a sermon just to be inspired in the moment, but then to keep it behind glass where you just kind of walk away from it and move on to the next display. Or when you even sing the word of God, where you, you're singing the word of God and you're thinking about it and you're sort of dazzled by it in the moment, but then you don't take it to heart. Well, this morning in James chapter 1, I'm hoping that some of the museum glass will break and that the word of God will go from the museum into your life where the Word of God becomes a, a book that you're holding on to, not just as something that you approach in a ceremonial way, as if we're sort of worshiping the Word of God, but where you come to the Word of God because God is speaking to you dynamically through these words into your life in a way where you are exposed, you see things revealed, and you have to change things in your life. And you have to do things in response to what you've heard. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, that's next week. We're going to begin a series of talking about doing the word of God. And the very first exhortation is bridling your tongue. You're going to talk about application. Let's talk about the tongue for a while. Let's talk about the potency of our words and how if we just, by God's grace, by the gospel power, would learn to tame our tongues, how much better off we would be. And how our Christianity would be real and authenticated and powerful in people's lives. And then it goes on in verse 27 to talk about taking care of the orphan and the widow. These are very practical things that we're supposed to do. James chapter 1, let's look at it. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. That first word... In this verse, verse 22, it connects what James has just said. He just talked about being a hearer of the word of God. Being a person who will listen to the word of God, who will soften the soil of his heart, where you'll remove the impediments and hear the word of God. And then he goes on in verse 22 and says, but you're also supposed to be a doer of the word of God. And the text here is saying that if you don't go all the way, if you don't follow through all the way with what you've heard, you're basically rendering the hearing part as a complete waste of time. Last week, we sort of headed up the entire um, section with a proposition. God's word always raises two questions about you. Two questions about you. The first question is, did you listen? And the second question that we're going to be probing into is, will you respond? Will you go all the way? Did you listen? And will you respond? In listening, we're called to soften the soil. We're supposed to be slow to speak. We're supposed to be slow to anger. 
We're supposed to be quick to hear or quick to listen. And then we're supposed to shepherd our hearts and not be angry and to put away filthiness, to be aggressive with our own hearts and soften the soil up and be aggressive to be being open to the word of God. And that launches us right into verse 22. This church needed to hear this message. They were struggling. As we've said week after week, they were Jewish Christians who had followed the Messiah. They'd embraced him as Lord. They had seen Jesus as the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, of Psalm 2, of Psalm 22. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they were being abused because of that belief. They were being ostracized. They were being disassociated with by family and friends. And so they were clinging to the word of God. And James was saying, look, I've given you the word of God. This is the wisdom of God and the word of God. And you need to pray to God that he will give you the wisdom of the word in your life. Don't accuse God when you sin. Don't blame him, verse 13 says. Don't blame him when you're dangling temptations in front of yourself. Don't doubt the goodness of God, as verse 17 talks about of James 1. Don't doubt this God who rains good gifts to you down into your life. Don't doubt that. And the main reason why you shouldn't doubt that is because of verse 18. God brought you forth. He he gave you new life by the word of truth. The word of God was the instrument that saved you. You heard the gospel and you believed and you're a new creature. And so he's giving all these reminders to this struggling early church. But he says, listen, now you need to live it out. He sort of laid the foundation and he said, you need to live out the word of God and be a doer. Because it's dangerous not to be. In verse 22 is the beginning. He gives two people. They look very similar on the outside, but they're radically different on the inside. There's a doer of the word and then there's a person who just hears the word of God only. This person who is a hearer only is in great danger because it's a person who is deceiving themselves. You see that in verse 22? Self-deception. This is called halfway obedience. Halfway obedience. It's a person who comes up to hearing the word of God and then doesn't follow through with what they've heard. They only go halfway and they live a life filled with conflict. Self-deception. It's where you talk yourself out of doing the right thing. The word of God is so powerful that I know that it opens you up week after week. There are probably things that echo in your mind week after week where the spirit of God is showing you things that you need to change and correct in your life. This happens to me when I'm studying the word of God all week long. I'm so thankful to have a job where I have to come face to face with the word of God and it just penetrates me and fillets me and opens me up and shows me areas that I need to correct in my life. And then providential circumstances will come along. People will say things to you. Circumstances will happen in your life that will gel and jive with the very things that you're reading about, right? And all of a sudden you're more exposed and you know more clearly the things that you need to correct in your life. Well, this person who is coming halfway and not going all the way is a person who deceives himself or herself and talks him or herself out of doing the right thing. You begin to listen to Satan's lies or you listen to your own heart. I know I used to. 
As an unbeliever, I remember clearly a satanic lie that I listened to. And I actually talked about that, this, is, this in the Grace Christian Chapel a week or so ago. A satanic lie I listened to when I was 16. And it was that, listen, you can live your life as a teenager to, the, to its fullest and enjoy everything the world has to offer. Sort of in this protective bubble of your teenage years with no consequences, and you'll be fine. And one day, when you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, then your life can change, and then you can live for Christ, and everything will be fine. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There are no guarantees in this life that you'll soften up one day if your heart is hardening and you're going down a wrong path. As a matter of fact, the harder your heart gets... Oftentimes, the more you're going to fall away from the Lord ultimately. It's only by God's grace that anyone finds the narrow road. That's the truth. But I was living under a lie and I had friends and we would actually talk about this because we were in church and we were hearing the word of God and we would talk ourselves out of responding to the truth. And that's not just a teenager lie, is it? That's a lie that you can listen to or be telling yourself throughout your adult life. That's one you should run from. This is the word deceiving. It is the word for deluding yourself. You're, you're, you're living a delusion, a delusional life, a life that isn't jiving with reality. And verse 23 and 24 begins to show a clear and simple picture of what this looks like in a person's life. This is a person who not only lives a life with conflict, but lives a life with contradiction. Your life is a contradiction when you're living this way. The picture is one of a person looking into a mirror. It's a simile. It's a simple illustration where someone is taking the word of God as if it were a mirror and looking at your own reflection as you read the truth and then forgetting what you just saw. Mirrors back in ancient times were made of gold and silver and bronze. The wealthier people had gold and silver mirrors, but you you would see a common mirror in a bathroom, even in ancient times, where people could make out their reflection as they would look at themselves, but it wouldn't be as clear as glass. That wasn't going to come along for a while, but a glass mirror. But a bronze mirror would be like looking into a bronze pan, where you're sort of angling it to find your own reflection as you look into it. And you can do that. You can do that even with a a shiny bronze pan today. We have a mirror in our house that's an antique mirror, and it's kind of smoked over in the glass, and it's hard to make your image out um, immediately. But if you concentrate and look closely enough, then you see what's really there, whether you like it or not. Um, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. And that's talking about these ancient mirrors. It's the idea of how we see Christ um, in a way through faith on this side of eternity, but one day we'll see Christ face to face in full clarity. Well, these mirrors were, were tricky in ancient times. But if you looked intently enough, you could see what was there. Now, again, look at verse 23. This person or this person here is actually looking closely at himself. He's looking intently at his natural face in a mirror. It's not a quick glance at the word of God. It's actually an intent look at the word of God. This is a person who isn't just casually coming to church. This is a person who's very religious, who comes regularly. 
who's looking intently, not just passing glances. This is a Bible student who's taking the mirror of the Word of God and looking intently. It's a compound um, verb here, paranoeo, and it's the idea that the person is really engaging his mind in Bible study as he looks. But sadly, this person, though he sees himself for who he really is, he forgets what he just saw. The idea of seeing your natural face in the mirror is the idea of seeing yourself completely undressed spiritually. It's the genesis of who you are. That's what the wording is talking about. Your natural self. It's the genesis of who you are. The Word of God is doing a work as you read yourself back to yourself. But you're kind of just willing to blow off what you see. You become more interested in studying the mirror than studying the message that comes from the mirror. You see? It's like driving along and having a near-miss automobile accident. And you screech the tires and you slide. And maybe even in your mind you think, wow, had I hit that pole or that other car, my life would have changed. I could have died. I could have left children here alone. Uh, I could have you know, been laid up in the hospital. I could have, even on a lesser level, been out all kinds of automobile, uh, automotive um, bills or, or hospital bills or whatever. But then when it didn't happen and you drive off, about two minutes later you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch right? That's oftentimes what people do when you encounter the Word of God and the Spirit is working on your heart in a specific area, calling you to do something in your life. And you, you were there, you looked at the Word of God as if studying it through the museum glass, and then you just walk away and move on to the next exhibit and just forget about what you just encountered, what the Spirit just told you to do. He looks at himself and goes away, verse 24, and forgets what he was like. But then there's the opposite effect, and that comes in verse 25. What's great is that the Bible does not leave us hopeless. It doesn't. It says that we not only hear the word of God, but we need to be doers of the word of God. You know, before we go there, I just want to mention a couple warnings. If you are a hearer of the word of God, you are in spiritual danger. This is not just talking about a text of why you're not growing spiritually. This is a text that is a warning that if you're a hearer only and not a doer, then you might be revealing to yourself that you are inauthentic as a Christian. That was, that's the danger of Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 talks about how Christians were, were tasting the good word of God. They were seeing the power of God. And then after they were experiencing these things, they were unwilling to repent. They were falling away. And it says in that passage that it is impossible at a certain point to renew certain people to repentance. It's because people are exposed to so much light and so much power of God and then they reject it and they walk away and it hardens their heart utterly and completely. It's, it makes a comparison in verse 8 to a person who is like a hardened soil that's bearing thorns and thistles. 
It's like being a person who audits the class instead of ever enrolling. Now, I'm not against auditing classes in school, but that doesn't work in the spiritual realm. It's not enough to just come to a class, show up, listen and hear what's going on and benefit from it superficially, but never having to do the homework. You never have to do any assignments. You never have to do any papers. You're not responsible for anything. And the Christian life is totally a call for you to be responsible, for you to follow through, to produce fruit that remains, as John 15 says. How do you know if you truly abide in the vine? How do you know if you're a a branch that's a real branch that's going to produce fruit and not a Judas Iscariot branch that looks like you're the real thing, but you're really not? Well, the difference is, is that you're bearing real fruit in your life, and that's the doing of the Word of God. Now, there's a lot of people who are busy about doing things in church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus compared the man who built his house on the sand with the man who built his house on the rock. And the difference between the two is as simple as what he says. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hears and does. You don't want to be halfway. Halfway is not affirmed. It's people who are all the way in their obedience. Your life is not a contradiction. One person put it this way. There's a lot of people out there who are sermon tasters, but they're not applying the word of God. You know, there's another interesting story I came across this week. It's found in Numbers chapter 32, and it's talking about the children of Israel. They had come through the 40 years of of wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And they're right on the cusp of going into the promised land. And there were two tribes, Reuben and Gad, who were settled in Gilead right outside of the promised land. And they came to Moses honestly and openly just saying, hey, would it be okay if we stayed on this side of the Jordan because we've got a fertile land here and we've got cattle and they're eating and things are going well for us? Would that be okay? Well, Moses gave a pretty stern warning to them saying, look, this reminds me of 40 years ago when I sent the 12 spies and 10 of them went AWOL on me and discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel and they wouldn't go. Even though Joshua and Caleb were saying, let's go, let's take the hill, let's be an army, let's, let's put it all on the line. The rest of Israel would not go all the way. He said that their hearts were not wholly into following They wouldn't wholly follow Moses. And so the Lord's anger was kindled against them. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And he was warning them, saying, Look, why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? You know, will, will you let them fight and you won't fight alongside them? And so the two tribes... Reuben and Gad, whether they intended to do this or not, they were sort of blown away by Moses' exhortation and they gave a pretty strong commitment. They said, we will, verse 17, take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. So they were saying, look, we'll go with you. We'll fight the battle, but then we want to come back to Gilead if that's okay, because we really want this 
to be our inheritance. So Moses said, if you take up arms to go um, before the Lord with war, I will allow you to do this. But then he gave a strong warning. And it's the same warning, I think, that we need as believers. This is the warning from Scripture where it's not okay to pretend as a believer. It's not okay to play church. Verse 23 says, But if you will not do so, in other words, if you've just committed, but you won't do this, if you won't really follow through, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. You ever heard that phrase before? This is the context for that phrase. Every time your parents use this phrase with you as a child, this was the story behind that phrase. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's powerful then, it's powerful now. The Lord wants us to follow through. It will rejuvenate our church if we are Christians who are known as those who not only hear the word of God, but we do it, we live it. Now, we are a church known for expositional teaching, right? We're known as a teaching church. We're known as a church that trains. We have K-12 through education here. We host Alaska Bible College. We have many Bible studies. We have classes. We are into in-depth teaching, even on Sunday mornings. But I want us to be known not as just hearers of the Word of God, but people who are doers of the Word of God, who live it, who do it, who take it into the life, and where we see our sin and then we execute, we, we follow through with the word of God. Back to James. Verse 25. This is what it looks like to be a doer. This is the person who has all the way obedience. A life with follow through. A life with follow through. But the one who looks into the perfect law. The law of liberty. And perseveres. Stop there. Persevering. This is the life of follow through. Being a doer of the word is not just one-time doing. It's a life where you actually continue to do the word of God. You continue to see it played out in your life. You're like the teenager, I mentioned this last week, who knows that pop song, that, that tune that keeps rolling over and over again in that kid's heart and mind where it's unforgettable. And the word of God should be the same thing in our minds where it's in our minds and in our hearts what we're reading, what we're thinking about so that we can live it. I would encourage you that it would be more important for you to read less of the word of God and to meditate more on what you've read. And get it to the place in your heart where where you will actually apply it and live it. It would be more important. There's a lot of you probably that feel guilty over not reading enough of the Word of God, right? You say, man, I just wish I would read and study the Word of God more often. Maybe there are some of you who actually, when you do read the Word of God more often, you feel better about yourself. But in both situations, if you're not doing the Word of God, that is only halfway. And that is not enough. To live the Word of God. If you, if you live out even the smallest portion of the word of God, it is so much more powerful for your life and for the lives of others around you than reading much of the word of God and not doing anything with it. You see the difference? That's what James is talking about. 
persevering in the Word of God, a lifestyle of doing. Look how he talks about the Word of God, though. This is not drudgery. This is not hard homework, slavish homework, where it's something that we don't want to do it. It's where our attitude is different about this book. This book for James and for the believer is called The Perfect Law. It's the Word of God, as Revelation 22 says, that you can't add or take anything away from it, right? Because you will have curses given you because it's perfect. You can't add or subtract from this book. It's perfect. But it's devotionally perfect to us. Psalm 19 says it's the perfect law of God that revives the soul. It's the Word of God that the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. It makes me wiser than older people because you know the mind of Christ. Do you know that you could walk into any college class and say, listen, I know that you're a college philosophy class and you're looking for the answers of life, where man came from, what's screwed up with the world, how things are going to end up and and how things work um, from day to day. Well, I've got the answers to all of those questions because I have the mind of Christ. Do you know, we, we have those answers. They come from the scripture. We've been given the gift of the word, and we call it the perfect law. James called it the law also because he's a Jew, and he was reflecting upon the Old Testament, which was called Torah, or the law of God, the prophets, the law, the wisdom literature, the poetic books, the minor prophets, the law of God. But it was more than that to James because he called it also the law of liberty, The reason he called it the law of liberty is because he understood that this law became gospel to him and to the church. Remember Jesus, he said in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus to the two disciples, listen, all of the law and the prophets was about me. Luke 24 verse 27 says that he interpreted the scripture according to himself. And then he went later to the disciples and gave the same sermon again to them as the resurrected Christ, saying that all of the Old Testament, I was the point of it all. In, Gen- in Romans 10:4, Christ is called the end of the law. <coughs> you know what that means? That means all of the law ceremonially, all the sacrificial system, all of what was prophesied about, all of it, was reaching its summary in Christ. He fulfilled it perfectly, yes, in obedience, but he was the point of all of it. So he's the focus of the gospel. This law is the gospel to us. First John says uh, we come to know God when we know his commandments and they are not a burden to us anymore. His commandments aren't burdensome. They're not shackles to us. They are the words of eternal life, as was sung earlier. That's that's the call and heart of the disciples. That's why they followed Jesus. Where else have we to go when you alone have the words of eternal life? The word of God. It's something that we want to be soft for. It's something we want to remove impediments for. It's something we want to be aggressive about grabbing, right? But we want to grab it into our lives so that we will live it out and see it lived out in our lives in day-to-day obedience. We don't want to be forgetful. You know, Second Peter chapter 1, 
is where Peter says, look, I make no apology about stirring you up by way of reminder. We need to be reminded of the word of God instead of being forgetful. We don't want to be like the rich young ruler. Remember the one who said to Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? He, he sort of was throwing off all of his Jewish traditions and all of pretense and, and ran and knelt before Jesus. Remember that? I mean, that's something that a, a Jewish statesman would not do. That would not be dignified. That would not be characteristic of someone. So he was desperate for answers. And he went to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Luke 18, and Jesus, knowing his heart, Jesus wanting to be the mirror reflection of this man's heart back to himself, instead of him saying, listen, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Instead of him giving him the gospel directly, what Jesus did was he unpackaged his heart right in front of himself and said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He wanted this man to see his own sin. And he wanted to see if this man was, was by faith, seeing who he was really talking to, right? And so the man began to make excuses about how he's kept all of the law of God. I've kept every commandment. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I've kept all these commandments. But Jesus wanted to really expose his heart to himself. And he said, well, look, sell everything that you have and follow me. And it exposed that this man was holding on to wealth. He wanted to hold on to that wealth and have eternal life at the same time. And Jesus was holding up the mirror so this man would see that he was doing that and let go of the wealth and follow Christ. And instead he went away sad. I'm going to read to you a quote. It's from a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And many of you have heard of this book because it's the second most um, published and sold book of all time, second to the Bible. It was written by John Bunyan. Bunyan was a faithful pastor in Bedfordshire, England, and ultimately imprisoned for his faith. He wouldn't follow uh, some of the legalism of the church, the state church in England, and so he was in prison, prison for that. But he was known as such a faithful man and godly preacher that his congregation would gather outside of the prison wall for them to listen to Bunyan preach over the wall to them. And ultimately, he was imprisoned in Bedfordshire, I think, in the Lord's plan so that he could work out his own heart and faith through quill and ink and write the words of the Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegory of truth and the truths that you find in the gospel and scripture. And what we have here in the story at this point is Christiana. Christiana is the wife of the main character of the Pilgrim's Progress, and she was following after her husband down the narrow road, coming later on because her husband had said, look, the city of destruction is going to be destroyed and there's doom that's coming upon the world. And so I'm going to follow the narrow road to the celestial city, which is a picture of heaven. Initially, his wife, Christiana, and children mock Christian, but ultimately she gathers the children up and follows after her husband down the narrow road. And comes to the same shepherds that the Christian had encountered. These shepherds were men on the delectable mountains. And they would show the word of God to people as they would pass by. These shepherds, these pastors. And one way that they would show the word of God was by showing them a mirror. And this is what Bunyan writes. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Forgive me. The quote. Here it is. Now the glass was one of a thousand. 
It would present a man one way with his own features exactly and turn it but another way and it would show one of the very face and similitude of the prince of pilgrims himself. Yea, I have talked with those that can tell and have said they have seen the very crown of thorns upon his head by looking into this glass. They have therein also seen the holes in his hands, in his feet, and his side. The man who continues looking into the mirror of God's word sees in it things far more wonderful than his own face. He sees not only his filthy garments, not only the spots and stains on his life. He sees it in Christ, the Christ of the thorn-crowned brow, the Christ of the cross, his Savior whose blood cleanses him from all sin. The Word of God is a mirror to us, right, as believers. But when we see our own sin, we see it laid upon the Christ who bore it all in our place, right? That's when the Word of God not only becomes a reflection to us of our own sin, but it also becomes the solution for how our sins have been dealt with and forgiven in Christ. It's the gospel. And the gospel is the only motivation that we have and the only motivation that we need to be a doer of the word of God. If you don't know the gospel, then you won't want to be a doer of the word of God, right? But if you do know the gospel, the gospel is what drives us to do the right thing. It's all done in Christ. Well, our life is in this way all the way obedience and we have follow through and we also have integrity. Look at verse 25. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So often we forget if we just hear and we don't act. So often I think in the Christian life, we think the Christian life should be some big intervention, right? Kind of like a Dr. Phil show where he shows the videotape of a person acting out in sin in their house. And he, he shows that to the person, not that I've ever really watched that show, but anyway, he shows that person and they see themselves for who they really are, but then they just, you know, it's not really going to stick, is it? They might be shocked, like shock therapy, but they're not really going to follow through on anything. But that's not this person. This person is not living in contradiction. This person has a life of integrity. Integrity. Not only follow through, but second point, integrity. No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And you can see how the different action words are mounting up here. You're a doer who acts, and you're blessed in your doing. Verse 25 at the end. Three words in a row to show that action needs to be um, paramount. You know, as a believer, you're no longer a slave to your passions. You're no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6 says you become a slave to righteousness. Just thinking about that. You know, that's what it means to be a doer of the word. You're a slave of Christ. You say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? It's like when you get married, you, you covenant in a bond to your partner. And you want that covenant. You want that word bond in your life. You said, I do. And that's not bondage to you. That's freedom and joy in your life. Because you want to be bound in that way. That's the freedom and blessing of the Christian life. 
You're not a slave to sin. You're a slave of Christ. John 8, where he confronted, Jesus confronted the Pharisees. He said, you know what? You will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. Now that offended those Pharisees because they said, look, we're not bound. We're not slaves of anybody. We're of our father Abraham. And Jesus went on in John 8, and said, you know what? Your father really is the devil. So you really are in bondage until you know the truth. And this truth makes you free, free indeed. It makes you so free that you're blessed. You not only have follow through, you not only have integrity, but you also have a life filled with blessing. He will be blessed in his doing. Blessed in his doing. When does the blessing happen? Only in heaven? No. The promise is now for your life. If your life is not filled with blessing, try living out the truth and watch God bless you. Watch there be happiness in your life by doing. I think so often we live for certain ideals, certain goals, right? If, if things were only a little bit different, if I only had a little bit more money in the bank account, if my marriage was only a little bit more this, if my kids would only respond, to, if, I, if I'd only do this, right? Fill in the blank. If, if my job would turn out this way, or if this would happen that way, then I would be happy. The Christian life is hearing the word of God, internalizing it, and then living it out. And that's when you have success. Remember Joshua 1.8? He told Joshua... Let this book of the law be in your heart. Meditate upon it day and night. And as you meditate upon it, do it. And then in doing the word of God, you will find success. Success is not a bad word in the Christian life. Success is the blessing and joy of the Christian life. But we have to live out the truth. Now let's apply it a little bit more. First of all, Number one, practicing truth is as important as hearing truth. Do you believe that? We hear it, but we need to do it as well. Now, how do you do it? Let me just give you a few practical steps off this point. When I get dry spiritually, this is what I do. I type out my prayers. I can type as fast, just about as, as, just about as fast as I can think. And so I can type a lot better than I can handwrite. And I will type out literally what's on my heart. And whether I ever read it again or not, I, it helps me internalize my prayers and think about the Word of God and mesh the Word of God with my life in a way that's helpful to me. And so you need to find ways to journal or, or get with God and think through the Word of God in a meditative way where it will become active in your life. Whether you need to take prayer walks, whether you need to dedicate some time, start journaling, handwriting, or typing out your heart. Meditation is like, and I think I said this earlier, it's like dropping a tea bag into a hot bit of liquid. All week long, I couldn't really speak. I had laryngitis, so I got to look at a lot of tea bags and a lot of tea bags getting dropped into the hot water. And it's amazing. If you dunk the tea bag in just once, there's a little bit of an effect. But if you really let that tea bag settle in and maybe put two tea bags in, right, uh, it will make the liquid turn dark. There's a permeating effect. And that's the same thing you need to do with the Word of God. Take it in and keep it in and think about the Word of God when you meditate. It's like passing by a fireplace. If you just walk by the fireplace and try to 
get your hands warm and you just kind of leave it, then your hands are going to still be cold. It's when you stand by the fire for a long time that your body really warms up. Number two, (laughs) it's easy to equate busyness with obedience. There are a lot of busy people who really don't know God, even in church. So don't do that. Don't just do for doing's sake. It's doing, which is living out the word of God, serving in the strength that God supplies. Number three, if allowed, spiritual amnesia can become a person's new normal. It's easy to get calloused, isn't it? Where we go to the word of God and then we have a habit of forgetting what we've just learned. A good way to not forget is to talk with someone and have as regular routine a conversation to talk about what you've just learned. You should do that. You should have on the way home conversations about what you just learned in Sunday school, in other times, from the sermon or other things, what you just learned. Number four, only Christians truly see God's law as liberating. This is very true. The word of God is not a drudgery to us. It becomes the gospel, and we've talked about that a lot. Number five, only Christians experience the deepest joy from obedience. It's where you're blessed and what you're doing. Next week, we're going to talk about bridling the tongue. Now, just even bringing that up, it it stirs you, doesn't it? In one sense, it, it kind of makes you go, oh, I don't really want that. But as a believer, aren't you kind of moving towards next week already saying, hit me. You know, I, I, want, I want you to hit me with the word of God. And only believers do this. But we've got the right book. And we know God. And we have the one true gospel. It's what separates us from all religions. We have the true and perfect book, which is the law of liberty for our souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and your truth, and I pray, God, that we would now commit not to be those forgetful hearers, those people who will look at the Word of God like a mirror, see us for who we really are, and then walk away as forgetful people. I pray, God, instead that we would be doers, that, God, you would bring certain things that we need to start doing in our Christian lives, not as acts of penance, but because we are repentant, That's why we want to do and live the truth. So God, guide us. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up now for our final close. Just want to thank you for coming to Anchorage Grace Church. If you're new here or haven't been here before, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out front here to shake your hands and uh, greet you in the Lord. If you need to know Christ, if you need to know the liberating gospel, we would love to explain it to you. Myself or other counselors are available for that. We also have food on the back table. That's to keep you from leaving right away. We don't want you just to to go out and um, leave right away, but to be a part of each other's lives. And I love the way it kind of bottlenecks up here because it's a way for us to sort of have forced fellowship (laughs) where where we can shake each other's hands and get to know each other because that's where a lot of good things happen in our spiritual development as relationships are built. Also, any information you need, we have a table over here and are available to you. Have a wonderful week. And the Lord dismissed.